Amen. I love to hear the voices of God's people uh, singing praises to Him. Uh, we decided we, we've been planning ahead with the whole uh, worship team. <laughs> She's still going. The whole worship team uh, got together a few weeks ago and are planning uh, out our services in chunks and and uh, we've decided that we want to make a, a hymn Sunday a regular occurrence so we'll be doing that at least once a month <laughs> along with communion uh, as well once a month a little little bit much for Baptists but I think we can handle it <laughs> want to uh, invite you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to the book of Habakkuk. So we begin a new series, Surprising Answers to Difficult Questions from the book of Habakkuk. Old Testament prophet with a very uh, relevant feel to it. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. In honor of God's word, I invite you to stand with me. This is the oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet Saul. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help to you and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Thus the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the, the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. But behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth, and they take it. And they sweep by like the wind, and they go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Ask now, Lord, that you would be our, our teacher. Lord, that I would just simply uh, be your instrument through whom you teach. And, and I pray, Father, for just give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say to each of us here this morning. Father, what the Spirit wants to say uh, through us after this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have ever experienced the frustration and confusion of unanswered prayers, if you have ever wondered why God seems so absent sometimes, especially it seems when you need Him the most, 
If you have ever looked around this world and thought to yourself, God, why are you not doing something about all of this? Well, the book of Habakkuk then is for you. I, I saw this tweet uh, last week as I was beginning to prepare this message. And someone asked uh, just randomly, what book of the Bible is your preacher currently preaching on? And there's about 300 responses uh, to the question. So I began to scroll through them uh, to see how many people were going to say Habakkuk. And uh, best I could tell, there was one. And it was my answer. No one is preaching through the book of Habakkuk, apparently. Uh, Needless to say, it's not the most popular book in the Bible. It it probably wouldn't make too many people's top ten list. You know, Romans, uh, Habakkuk, you know, it's it's just not one of those uh, really popular uh, moving texts for a lot of us, which is precisely why I want to preach through it. Uh, Because I find it one of the most relevant books in the Bible, especially for our day and age. And yet, as we will discover, that it's also one of the most frustrating books in the answers that it gives to a lot of the questions that we have. Which tells us more about ourselves than it does about the book of Habakkuk. And so we might just discover that in this ancient prophecy how uh, discipled perhaps by the culture that we are rather than by the scriptures. Because I think a lot of the culture has infiltrated the church and it's kind of affected the way we read the scriptures. What we have as far as our expectations of what Christianity truly is. Well, Habakkuk, as you know, is is an Old Testament prophet. The prophets uh, were, were they were a bit wild. They were a bit weird. Uh, A group of guys that, when I I think of an Old Testament prophet, I think of some guy on on the street corner with a bullhorn kind of guy, you know, and he's, he's yelling, repent, for the end is near. One of those kind of guys, turn or burn, which really isn't far from the truth uh, of these prophets because they were, they were a bit eccentric kind of, of characters. Well, the prophets uh, in your Bible are divided up into two different categories. You have what's called the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And you go, so what's the, the difference between the majors and the minors? Well, best I can tell, it has to do with the length of their writing. So the major prophets wrote a, a major lot of stuff. So I consider myself a major preacher. <laughs> so, so the major prophets are, are, are lengthy. Uh, minor prophets are short in length, but the, the fact is, is that the minor po- prophets, uh, they may be shorter in what they have to say, but they certainly pack a punch when they, when they say it. The prophets were, were God's spokesmen. Uh, They were God's spokesmen to Israel, uh, to the southern kingdom of Judah, and and basically they can be divided even into, as a whole, uh, another two different kinds of groups. Those who spoke to Israel and Judah about the coming of the exile 
Uh, you guys have sinned against God. You guys have turned from him. Now God's coming and uh, you will be driven into exile into to Babylon. And then there's another group of prophets that wrote while the people of Israel and Judah were in Babylon in exile and they were giving a word of hope. I know it's horrible right now. I know you're miserable. I know you want to go home. God is good and that day will come. So if you take them as a whole, uh, basically uh, they spoke of the consequences of sin, and yet they also spoke of the compassion of God. In other words, they were basically old school gospel preachers. That's what they were. We find them strange because they seem so different to us, but basically... Uh, using a different kind of time, they, they basically had the same message, a message of, of devastation and judgment for sin mixed with hope. However, it's not the end. There is hope coming. And so we see a lot of the, the prophets speaking forth about the ultimate hope coming through Jesus Christ. So yes, they're strange because they're different from us. They they spoke at a different time. They spoke in a different world. They spoke in a different way. As such, they seem, uh, for a lot of people, a little irrelevant to us, which may be why, you know, books like Habakkuk and Amos and, and other of the Old Testament prophets are not real high on the Christians' favorite list today. However, uh, I believe that Habakkuk was different. He's very different as one of the prophets. He was more along the lines of those who, who like in our day, ask hard questions. Uh, he likes to ask the why questions. Why is there so much suffering and justice in the world? And if God is good, why doesn't he do something about all of this suffering, injustice in the world. So I call him the, the questioning prophet. He's more like a, I, I see him a little bit more like a philosophy student in a, in a secular college campus than a raving madman with a bullhorn. Uh, he, he, he might be the most relatable of the prophets for what is now termed the post-Christian age that we have. Now, he, he is one of the ones that's writing just prior to the Babylonian captivity, right? And so he's looking around at his culture. He's watching the evening news. He's going through social media. He's not doing any of those things, but it's similar uh, he's just basically observing the culture around him, and what he sees disturbs him greatly. He sees injustice. He, he sees evil. Evil's winning. Evil's prevailing. Uh, the righteous are, are basically being ignored or scoffed at. And so he is going to take his concerns about what he sees in the world. He's going to take it to God. 
God, I have some questions for you. And so he unloads. I want you to see his questions uh, in the first uh, three verses. And they come, uh, there's four questions specifically. Listen to uh, the the questions and, and just how profoundly relevant they are. Four questions. Number one, how long must I call out for help and you don't listen? Question number two, how long do I have to point out all of this violence that I see in the world and yet you don't show up and respond? Question number three, why do I have to see this? Why do I have to look at injustice? Question number four, and why do you tolerate it? You're God, you're good. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, evil behavior? Those are some fairly strong questions. In fact, they're, they're really questions in the form of accusations against God. And, and yet I doubt, honestly, that there are men, not too many of us who have not asked the same exact questions. Habakkuk really just has less filter than we do. Uh, he, he is uh, a, a prophet with a less sugar-coated spirituality, we could say. And, and yet we may not ask those questions out loud, but we certainly ask them to ourselves. And the fact that such questions appear in the Bible... The Bible that the Spirit inspired, by the way, indicates that God is not offended by such questions. He wanted them to be here. He wanted them, he inspired them to be placed in his word. He wanted us to know that we are not the only ones struggling with such things. We're not the only ones who ask those kinds of questions. Well, Habakkuk, excuse me, Habakkuk is having a, a bit of an existential crisis. So what exactly has him so lathered up right now? Well, he's looking around at his city. He's looking around at his nation. He, he's looking around at his people. And he sees godlessness everywhere. Everywhere he turns. He says, destruction and violence are before me. There is... There is strife, conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked are hemming in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And I, I, I listen to what he sees and what he says, and I think to myself, man, is he talking about 7th century Israel or is he talking about 21st century America? Does that, does, does that not sound like the nightly news? Right? Destruction and violence. Just this week, in the last couple of weeks, you know, you turn on the news, you got, you know, uh, last week you got hurricanes and, and fires in Hawaii and, and the scenes, the pictures from that, they look like something from, you know, a, an apocalyptic scene, a war zone, mass shootings, in schools, first week of high school football, 
in Oklahoma, someone decides while the, the kids are playing on the field to just start open firing. And that's our normal today. We don't look at that and go, oh, my God. We just look at that and go, there's another one. It's almost a weekly experience. Violence, destruction, strife and conflict abound. <laughs> Come on, right? And it's going to get really hot in the next two years. Tribalism, racism, politicism, genderism, right? There's, there's all these people drawing their lines in the sand everywhere you look. In the church, you have, have Christians who are at odds. You have whole denominations today, especially ours, who, who are divided over uh, simple disagreements of ethics and doctrine. And he says, therefore, the, the law has been paralyzed. Think of that as the scriptures, the teaching of the scriptures are, are paralyzed. Uh, the moral standards of God have no effect on anybody anymore. Uh, you want to speak forth, the church wants to speak forth truth in this society, but it can't because we have been paralyzed by our, our law-breaking world. There is zero fear of the Lord. The wicked prevail. The righteous are canceled. Justice is perverted. Isn't that the truth? In a day and age where the things that are righteous and just are now considered perverted. And the things that just a few years ago and for the last billion years prior to that we knew were perverted are now lifted up as righteous. Everything has been shifted. Ungodliness is actually encouraged and accepted. And you're the problem if you find that it's ungodly. Welcome to the world. And so Habakkuk, knowing the character of God, knowing that he is holy and good and sovereign, he has questions. Something's not adding up here. What's going on, God? Where are you? Why are you ghosting me? Right? You, you've disappeared, you've gone missing, you're doing nothing. And in a sense, it really is shocking because God surprises us in our day. It surprised Habakkuk in his day with this silence, with his apparent inaction. He seems like he's not acting according to who he is. He's not behaving in terms of his character and nature. What the heck? Can you relate to that? And some of you have, have perhaps felt that way for a long time, but you've been afraid to basically express it. You've, you've thought it, but you've never really communicated it because there's that fear of, of being judged for thinking that way. And the funny thing is, is we're all thinking that way. Habakkuk gives us permission to air out our questions and our frustrations. And God, I believe, honors that. I don't know that we honor God with our silence and, and thinking one thing and then behave another way with one another. I think that's called hypocrisy. But I believe God honors uh, just our, our openness and our questioning. I really do. 
because uh, he's given us permission to do so. And thus, finally, because of the honesty of Habakkuk, God breaks his silence. And he has something to say. And what he says to Habakkuk is really rather shocking. It's a shocking answer. Surprising answers to difficult questions. So here's what he says in a nutshell. Verse 5. Look at the nations. Look at the nations and, and watch. Be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you're told, were told. So Habakkuk's got to be like, okay, now we're talking. Now we're, here he comes. Look out, world. Here he comes. Man, let's start a campaign. Let's, let's start like a, a big national campaign. Maybe, you know, we could put on a conference, kick the thing off, right? We'll call it Be Amazed. Be Amazed Conference, right? We, we'll, we'll make some t-shirts, right? It'll say, Be Amazed in huge letters, and then we'll put that verse, uh, Habakkuk 1.5 on the bottom of it, right? Man, God's going to do something. Be amazed. He's going to do something. It's going to be so stinking awesome, right? We put it on coffee mugs so we can drink our Joe in the morning, and, and there it is in front of us. We'll put it on calendars, man. We'll just exit off. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. We'll put it on hats bracelets how about bracelets right wgad what god's about to do and then all of a sudden he just keeps talking god does and it sounds like a a, a needle scratching a record right you're like man i love this song and the celebration music abrupts abruptly comes to an end. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, which is the same thing as the Babylonians. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Wait, what? Yeah, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. God declares that he's going to do something. You're right. I'm, I should be acting. I'm going to do something, all right. He is going to use the godless, ruthless, impetuous Babylonians. And, and that word impetuous means hasty. Right? It means that they strike first and they ask questions later. Right? They, just, they just come and conquer. They don't even think about it. Uh, and he says, I'm going to use that group of people to execute my judgment on my people. That's so amazing, isn't it? Be amazed. And God shouts, you know, surprise, surprise, just when you thought you had me all figured out. How's this for a curveball? And Habakkuk, man, he's like, God, okay, hang on. Are you aware of uh, the Babylonians? Has, has anybody, you know, talked to you about this? Do y'all have like an angel council and get some information? Because we're, are we thinking here about the same people? He describes them. They're a feared and dreaded people. They're a lot of themselves. 
They promote their own honor. They're about them. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities by building earthen ramps to capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind. They go on. They just, just roll over you. They're guilty people whose own strength is their God. Talk about putting a lump in your throat. That's who's coming. That is the cloud of dust in the distance. That's what is moving towards us. That's the terrifying future that awaits the people of God. Be amazed. And that's not good news. That's, this is bad news, right? This is bad news that would break you out in a nervous sweat and keep you up at night. We probably need to put a halt on the Be Amazed campaign. Let's change it. Be terrified. That's our new campaign. Be terrified. Because the most ruthless, terrifying war machine that the world has ever known up to this time is about to come mow us down. You can hear them. You can hear the sound of their boots marching our way. And if you have ever been on the receiving end of terrifying news, maybe not to the extent of this, but maybe a medical diagnosis or an unexpected expense that is so overwhelming that you have no clue how you will ever pay it, maybe a job loss, you know that, that pit in the stomach that Habakkuk has right now. Just that sense of being overwhelmed and that sense of, of hopelessness. Man, I wish I didn't even ask God those questions. Can we just rewind? It wasn't so bad before. And you're like, you know, why, God? Man, I, I thought you were for me. I thought you were for I thought you were for us. I thought you were for your people. I thought you were on my side. Why in the world does God allow us to suffer? if he supposedly loves us so much. Maybe it's precisely because he loves us so much. Jesus said in John 16, 23, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Think about that for a moment. Jesus said this, right? The Greek word uh, translated here as tribulation means suffering, it means affliction, it means distress. Uh, nowhere in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels, does Jesus ever say that he is going to save us from our, our tribulations and our suffering in this world. He never says that. Christians suffer just as much as anyone else, as, as, as unbelievers, as people of other religions. We suffer just as much as, as, as the rest of the world. He says, in fact, uh, in this world, you're going to have 
tribulation. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, suffering's a normal part of this world, but if you're my followers, you're going to get it a little extra. It's going to be a little heavier. He didn't say that we might suffer in this world, but that it would be inevitable. Babylon is coming. He also says in the passage for us to take heart. Take heart. That's a strange juxtaposition because the, the word in Greek means to be of good cheer. Hey, you're going to have tribulation in this world, but cheer up, buddy. That's basically what he's saying. You will have suffering, but cheer up. How is that possible? Because I have overcome the world. That's how. He doesn't say, by the way, he will overcome the world at the end when everything is finally over. I will finally win and overcome the world. No, he says it past tense. I have, I've already overcome the world. It's a done deal. How? How has he done that? Well, you can't overcome without suffering. You can't have victory without a war, right? You have to have something to overcome, to be an overcomer. And when Jesus came into this fallen, broken world, we treated him like dirt. And then we walked away. We crucified him, we killed him, and then we just walked away. And three days later, Jesus overcame the world. So my question is then, well, why doesn't it kind of feel like you have overcome this world? It doesn't really seem like you've overcome it. Why does it seem that the world is winning? Why does it seem like evil is prevailing? Why does it seem like suffering is increasing and divisions and anger are at an all-time high if Jesus has overcome the world? Well, well, the word overcome in the Greek text means victory. It means I have won. I have won. I, there's victory. But the grammar doesn't mean that there was a single victory. And on, it, it means that there's an ongoing victory. In, in other words, Jesus has overcome the world. He is overcoming the world. And he will finally overcome the world. It's a progressive overcoming. And so the promise isn't that Jesus has eliminated our, our trials and tribulations. It's that we are to be of good cheer because in him we also can experience victory even in our tribulations, not apart from it. Because you can't overcome if there's not something to overcome. And so he says, take heart, I have overcome the world, you are in me, and this is going to be a constant overcoming that you're now a part of. So the, the victorious Christian is not someone without trials. Right? That's like saying that, that our team won. What did you play? Who would y'all play? Who would you beat? Oh, we didn't have a game. What do you mean you didn't have a game? No, we didn't have a game. We were off. But you won? Yeah. Now, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense, right? We're only victorious if we have someone to overcome and defeat. 
And so to be victorious, you've got to be in the game. You've got to be in the war. And so what God tells Habakkuk sound, does not sound like very good news, does it? Right? The Babylonians are coming. But it's not like the Babylonians, uh, the people of God, it's not the Babylonians that the people of God should be worried about here. It's God they should be concerned about. That's the whole problem. Habakkuk observes that the people of God are unrepentant. They're just like the world. You see, when he looks around and he's going, look at all this ungodliness out there. Look at all this division. Look at all this ugliness that I see. He's not talking about the world out there like we are when we go, look at the news, look at the world today. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the insiders. He's talking about the people of God. And Habakkuk observes that the people of God are unrepentant, that they're just like the world, that they're violent, that they're divisive, that they're unjust, that they're unrighteous. And they are the ones who have paralyzed God's law because God's law doesn't apply to anybody else. It's for the people of God. They're for, uh, the, the gods, they're, they paralyze God's law. They are not able to affect them. They don't, their hearts have become hard and therefore they have no say to the rest of the world. They have nothing to say to the world. They have nothing to say to the Babylonians. And therefore, because of their ungodliness, the world is conquering them. And that's what I think is happening today in the church. And so God says, man, I'm going to use the Babylonians. I'm going to use the Babylonians to refine my people, to, to wake them up and to bring them to repentance and to turn so they will turn back to me and then I can restore them. They must overcome. They must overcome. And it's not the Babylonians that they need to overcome. It's their own hearts. It's their own brokenness. It's their own sinfulness. So what, God, what looks like God being incredibly harsh and unjust is really God being incredibly merciful. Because he knows they're not going to do it on their own. And so he's like, well, what's worse? What's worse here? Going into exile for a season are facing the divine wrath of God for eternity. Well, this doesn't look like injustice anymore. God's aim is always to strengthen his people so that we will be overcomers. Right? He wants us to overcome, he wants us to overcome our wayward, lost, ungodly ways, to overcome our, our brokenness, our sin nature, which is our kind of our inner Babylonian, which is bent on taking us away from the, the life we want to live. And we can't always understand God. We can't always see what God's up to. We may not fully understand his ways or why he is allowing certain things to happen or not to happen. But when things don't make sense, that's when we have to trust God the most. Right? We know this. We know that God is holy. We know that he is sovereign. 
We know that he is good. Habakkuk knows that. That's why he's asking the questions in the first place. God, I know what you're like, therefore some things aren't making sense to me. If you weren't those things, then I wouldn't even bother asking these questions. But because you are good, because you are sovereign, because you are holy, something's not adding up. And so the reason he's asking the questions is because he has a proper understanding of who God is. We know that he is holy. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he's good. And therefore, we have to trust him when we don't understand because we believe those things. Thus, we shall, we shall wait out the storm knowing that he has his reasons and that his reasons for why we're going through what we go through is always for our, our good. Always, always, always because of who he is. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching the gospel in Antioch. Right? Antioch in Paul's day was kind of identical to uh, Israel in Habakkuk's day as far as their corruption and, and uh, ungodliness inside that culture. Paul knows that their only hope inside of that godless culture is the gospel, is Jesus. And so he preaches. Check it out. I love this. Acts 13. Therefore, my friends, my friends, I love it. He doesn't say my enemies. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you're not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your day that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He takes the gospel, and then he quotes our, our Be Amazed scripture. He, he quotes Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. Be amazed. Jesus is the one we're to be amazed at. He recaptures it. He's like, oh, let's get rid of the be terrified campaign. Let's go with be amazed once again. But this time, let's, let's change the focus. Don't be amazed that the Babylonians are coming. Be amazed that Jesus Christ has come. Be amazed because I'm going to do something that you would never... It's going to blow your mind. You would not believe it even if someone told you, I'm going to send to you my one and only son. I'm going to send him from heaven. I'm going to send him down to you. And he's going, to, he's going to be just like you, except without sin. And I'm going to use ungodly men, Babylonian hearts, to crucify him. And I'm going to, to, to make his sacrifice, his death, the means by which those same ungodly men who crucified him could become my sons and daughters. Be amazed. Be amazed. God shocks us, doesn't he? He shocks us. And now I'm about to shock you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, for the... Uh,
the truth of this, this, this ancient story. And we thank you, Father, for your, your incredible gospel that, that Father, there's so many questions that we have. There's so many things that we see. But, Father, help us to see through the, the lens of faith, the eyes of faith. Father, help us to, to realize that when we watch the news, when we see the ungodliness that seems to prevail, that, Father, you have already overcome. And you are overcoming, and you will finally overcome. And that in Christ, that's true of us as well. So, Father, whatever bad news we've received or might receive in the future, whatever overwhelming news of a, a, a Babylonian source that's marching into our future, Lord, help us not to tremble at anything other than our fear of God. May the fear of God give us a peace. Give us a peace that Christ has overcome the world for us. Father, if there's anybody here today who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come and that they would respond and that they would receive good news. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. If you had a decision to make, I invite you to step on out and come. Don't hesitate. I'll be down here in the front.